Kyler Murray, and you're listening to 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Nobody in this room is fast as this kid. He's like that little kid. You can't catch me. Nah, nah, nah. Allow me to reintroduce myself. My name is Snap to Murray, and he's going to keep it off the left side. He's at the 10, at the 5. He's in again. Some more Murray magic. Our guy is one of those that gives you a chance every Sunday, and at his best, you know, I don't know who's better in this league. Let's be the best. Let's go, baby. Let's go. Wolf and Luke talk Cardinals. Now. Yeah, we are back on this Labor Day edition of Wolf and Luke. Tim Ring, Howard Balls are taking you up until 1 o'clock. In six days, we will see Kyler Murray play some football again for the first time since that miserable Monday night in L.A. Back on January 17th when the Rams pummeled the Cardinals 34-11 in the NFC wild card game to finish off the Cardinals season uh, last year. An 11-6 record that began with so much promise. They were 10-2, Howard. If you remember on December 5th, they were eyeing up the number one seed in the NFC playoffs. But then the season fell off the cliff. A loss to the Rams at home. A 12-point showing offensively and a loss to the lowly Lions at Detroit. A 16-point outing and a loss at home on Christmas night to the Colts. They rebound in Dallas with a win and then a chance to win the division at home in the regular season finale against the 6-10 and Seahawks team. And the Cardinals can't get it done. 38-30, they lose that game. Cliff Kingsbury, after the game, said, oh, we'll be ready for the playoffs. We'll, we'll refine our intensity for the playoffs. <laughs> and that was, that was not true. Uh, the Cardinals never had a chance in that playoff game. So you're a Cardinal fan, and you're waiting for this season to begin, and you're saying to yourself, all right, which Cardinal team are we getting? The team that began the year 10-2? and or the team that finished the year with a whimper. And as we bumped in with the segment there, when you got Kyler Murray, you got a chance, and that hasn't changed. As bad as Murray looked in that playoff game, I think everybody here is still all in to a certain extent on Kyler Murray that when he's on his game and he's healthy and he's running and he's throwing and he's that dual-threat quarterback, uh, the Cardinals have a chance to beat anybody, including the Chiefs here, uh, on opening weekend. Your thoughts on really the tale of two seasons mm-hmm. last year and how that really impacts you as you try to get your hands around what we're expecting to see here in 2022? It's the $64,000 question. Really. And as the end of last season has been stripped away and diagnosed and analyzed and all those things, there's, like with anything, Tim, when you win, there's no one reason why you win. When you lose, there's no one reason. There's a myriad of things. But there are two plays from the stretch that stand out in my mind. The Colts game and the playoff game against the Rams. When when a frustrated Kyler Murray being pursued and the protection wasn't there as much as it had been earlier in the season in a lot of those games after he came back from his high ankle sprain and wasn't the same player. The two plays were the one in Indianapolis where he was being pursued in the end zone and just threw the ball up in the air. 
just threw it up in the air into the field of play. Lucky it wasn't intercepted, and it was called intentional grounding. Then against the Rams, did the exact same thing. Being pursued in the end zone, he didn't throw this one high in the air. He just flipped it forward blindly and was intercepted oh, yeah. at around the three-yard line. I remember. And that made the score 21 nothing. So it wasn't only the decision that he made. It's what I believe was the frustration that he was feeling at that point because things just weren't going the same. And there were, there were a variety of reasons for that. One of the popular narratives, which kind of I get tired of hearing, is, well, it's the Cliff Kingsbury pattern. Whenever he's been a head coach, his teams don't do well in the second part of the season. Even co- going back to his, to his six years as head coach at Texas Tech. You don't well, buy that, do you? No, 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 I don't buy it. No, it's a a late, to me, it's a lazy narrative. And and especially the college one, because he was at Texas Tech. They weren't that good a team to begin with. And what do you, when you're building up your record to have a pretty good record for the first half of the season, and it was never that great except for maybe one or two seasons, who are you doing it against? 15, Tim, 15 of his 35 wins in college came against SMU, Stephen F. Austin, Texas State, Central Arkansas, Texas El Paso, Kansas, Sam Houston, Louisiana Tech, Eastern Washington, and Lamar. Right? Then at the end of the season, who's he losing to? Well, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, <laughs> Baylor, Texas, TCU. 23 of his 40 losses were to those teams plus Kansas State, right? So, so I throw that out. That is totally irrelevant. All right, but what about collapsing yeah. Cliff in the NFL? Yes. Any credence to that? No, I, I don't believe so. Because Now, granted, he comes out and says, well, I didn't adjust well enough when DeAndre Hopkins went out. That's what head coaches do. They, th- they fall on the sword to put something out there. He, but he's not going to go out there and say, well, Kyler Murray wasn't healthy at the end of the season. DeAndre Hopkins got hurt. We didn't have Chase Edmonds and James Conner playing together in the last part of the season. In fact, they only played one after week eight when they were seven and one. They only had one game the rest of the season where both those guys were available together. And what they ended up doing, because they didn't have a lot of confidence in guys behind them, is that... They overworked both Edmonds and Connor when one, whichever one was playing. There were games where Connor, there was one game, Tim, where Connor had 96% of the snaps. I mean, that's ridiculous. So when he started doing that when, when Edmonds got hurt on the first play against the 49ers in week nine, and then Connor got hurt. And then when he was hurt, Edmonds came back because he got healthy, and then they overused him and he got hurt again. Both of those guys were banged up and injured in that playoff game. I think there were five or six guys in that playoff game that would not have played if it was a regular season game. And like I said, the offensive line was banged up. Rodney Hudson, the team, the Cardinals lost two games in the 12, not even counting the playoffs, lost two games in the 12, in the, in the um, regular season. Two games, they lost two that he played in the 12 games he played. In the five he didn't, they lost three. And so, and I think he was, Justin Pugh was banged up. He kept injuring his calf. DJ Humphreys missed a game with COVID, and when he came back, he wasn't the same guy. So I don't look at this as, oh, can, how can they fix it, right? You have, A, you have to stay healthy. And that's some of the, yeah, it happens to a lot of NFL teams. I don't know if it happens to the extent of the Cardinals. Rondale Moore was hurt at the end of the year. We know J.J. Watt was hurt. They were 7-0 and with him. Uh, 
Marco Wilson had a shoulder injury at the end of the year. Zayvon Collins had a shoulder injury. Now, he wasn't playing that much anyway, but it cut into it. Even Isaiah Simmons had a shoulder injury at the end of the year, but kept playing. So I, I know a lot of people look at this, Tim, and say, that's an excuse. Well, I don't look at that as an excuse. I look at it as an explanation of why things happen to teams. And when you have that many players affected by injury, it's it's going to affect. But I think the elephant in the room is Kyler Murray. The last two years, Mm -hmm. he has not been healthy at the end of the season. Last year, he missed three games. Then he came back. He wasn't the same guy. The year before, he injured his shoulder against Seattle when it looked like they were going towards the playoffs. And he played, but he wasn't the same guy. And then the regular season finale against the Rams, which they could have won and knocked the, knocked the Rams out of the playoffs, and the Cardinals would have been in, he got hurt early in the game and went out. And then, of course, they weren't prepared very well and had Chris Streveler playing quarterback. So that that's what I look at to be the keys. So in the NFL, you have to stay healthy, at least have most of your guys healthy. And this team wasn't at the end of the la- at last year. And I think that's more important than people talk about. Oh, we weren't detailed enough. I didn't adjust to this, didn't adjust to that. Well, you can only adjust so much when you're missing so many of your key players. All right. Well, let's see if Kyler Murray can be out there for 17 national anthems in 2022. Let's take a quick break. We'll stick with the football after the timeout. We'll talk some ASU Sun Devil football. Now, <laughs> the Devils look pretty good against NAU, but this Saturday, oh, it's a bit tougher down in Stillwater against those Cowboys. After the timeout, Jake Anderson, ASU reporter for ArizonaSports.com. We'll talk a little bit about the Sun Devils and preview that game against Oklahoma State. Tim and Howard in for Wolf and Luke, Arizona Sports Station. Wolf and Luke Middays, 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. All right, 11.16 on a Labor Day Monday. Tim Ring, Howard Balls are in for Wolf and Luke, taking up until 1 o'clock today. Mitch and Steve in from 1 to 3. Then some D-backs baseball. D-backs opening up a series on the road today in San Diego. The D-backs continue their ascent to that elusive 500 mark. The schedule gets oh so difficult here as we get into September. More D-backs baseball and Zach Gallon talk coming up uh, in just a bit. But now, Howard, we shift our attention to the Arizona State Sun Devils. Look, they open up last Thursday against NAU, obviously an overmatched lumberjack team. But they did what a good football team would do to an overmatched lumberjack team. They blew their doors off. They win the game 40 to 3. They probably could have put a couple more touchdowns up if they wanted to. They win that game, but now uh, the challenge gets a little tougher next week, next Saturday, next game uh, in Stillwater, taking on an Oklahoma State team that finished uh, in the top five uh, last year. Jake Anderson, our ASU reporter for ArizonaSports.com, uh, joins us right now to talk a little Sun Devil football. Jake, uh, good. Good to be with you. Thanks for taking the time here on Labor Day. Uh, before we get into Oklahoma State, uh, our first chance to really talk to you since since that win over NAU. What impressed you? What jumped out of you? Maybe what surprised you? Because I'm sure, like everybody else, you had some question marks going into that game. So what questions were answered in a good way after that four quarters of football? Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. Uh, happy Labor Day to you. Um, 
uh, like you said, I don't think it was a game that could have impressed you, really. They did what they were supposed to. So I think in the aspect of were they going to answer the call of beating a bad football team handedly, and I think they did. They, Like you said, I think they could have even scored a couple more. They could have shut them out even. Um, I was impressed with the run game. Um, but another little tidbit aspect that I think um, – we're going to see going forward is the pass game with the tight ends. They did not throw to their tight ends in the red zone at all, and I think that was intentional. Um, and also defensively, the defensive line, even with the injury to Michael Matus, um, it showed that it still has the depth that we saw last year that made them the 13th best defense in the country and the best team in the Pac-12. Yeah, you know, uh, Jake, listen, uh, it's not Glenn Thomas's first rodeo. There's no way he was going to show Oklahoma State uh, hardly anything because he didn't need to uh, to get that W against NAU. A lot of fans, though, really interested in seeing Emory Jones play quarterback for the first time. They probably maybe saw him play in Florida last year. They knew about how that he was a highly recruited kid and they wanted to see what they what they had in him. And I think despite the level of competition from a pure skill standpoint about what this kid brings to the table, I think everybody came away fairly impressed. Yeah, he was uh, 13 for 18, a 72% clip. I mean, didn't turn the ball over other than that strip sack at the end of the first half, which is the only way NAU actually scored their points. They were negative two yards on that scoring drive. Um, but he hit his receivers. He could show he could do it with his legs, that he could get into the end zone. Um, and I think that, you know, compared to Jaden Daniels, which is what ASU has been used to the last few years, you saw that Emory Jones has a much better arm. Um, he doesn't have those happy feet and try to make things happen with his legs right away. He trusts himself in his own line and he stays in the pocket with some poise. So I'm looking forward to see um, what happens against you know a much better opponent in Oklahoma State. That's what I was going to ask you, Jake, about that poise, that patience, uh, that calm. I mean, we saw Tim and I talked earlier. We saw Jaden Daniels last night with LSU being the Jaden Daniels that we all saw here and. Emory, he, Jonah, he looks to be the real deal. And I know Herm Edwards talked a lot about his leadership, how he came right in. And, you know, it's not easy to come in as a transfer at that position and make your presence felt right away unless you have that, quote, certain something special about you. And I know we don't want to get ahead of ourselves too much, but he definitely appears to be that guy that you really want at that position that has the calm, can, can when things maybe aren't going great, Get everybody. Hey, don't. Hey, let's not panic here. Let's just play football. And it seems he has a lot of those intangibles. Oh yeah, I think the fact that he came in after spring ball and was voted a captain of the team by his teammates a shows the leadership capabilities that he does possess, and then also just the the short time he's been here, the short amount of times I've spoken to him in interviews and seeing him on the field, he has a a confidence about him that. He has the talent. He has the ability. His teammates, obviously everyone that's still at ASU with 43 new players on the roster, have bought into what Arizona State's trying to do this year. And when you got your quarterback at, at the top of that, being the leader and having the skill set to do so, um, I, I just think it, it kind of worked out for everything that's going on right now around the ASU program. It, it's um, exactly what they needed. Visiting with Jake Anderson, our ASU reporter for ArizonaSports.com, talking about uh, Sun Devil football now. Okay. All right. So you dispose uh, of the uh, NAU Lumberjacks. Now, of course, the litmus test gets a whole lot more difficult coming up uh, on Saturday. You're on the road at Stillwater. You're taking on the 12th ranked team in the country. 
country. Oklahoma State, a team that won the Fiesta Bowl here in Glendale uh, back in January. They're, again, 12th in the country. They, 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 their offense is outstanding, led by quarterback Spencer Sanders. They, they hung 58 on Central Michigan in their, in their season opener, uh, Jake. They, they did allow 44. You know, they lost their defensive coordinator to Ohio State in the offseason. I don't know if there's a pathway to victory there with a susceptible Cowboy defense if you allow 44 to Central Michigan. But again, half of those came in the fourth quarter. Maybe they were playing some second and third teamers. Having said all that, is there a pathway to victory for Arizona State in this game? Or is this one of those you're going to go and you're going to take your lumps and you're going to come back and try to regroup for Eastern Michigan? Yeah, I think it's going to be what we kind of saw with with, the, with what Herm did against uh, Michigan State, you know, back-to-back times when it's going to be run the football, bleed the clock, defense has to force a couple of turnovers, and offensively you cannot turn the ball over. You've got to make your kicks. Uh, you've got to do well in the punt game. I mean, every aspect of the game you have to excel at. You can't give Oklahoma State any freebies. Um, and you can limit their possessions offensively. Like you said, you need to make sure that that team does not run up the, the score on you if you want to stay in this ball game. Um, I do think that the fact that they gave up 44, I know 22 of it did come in the fourth quarter to Central Michigan, but that does maybe give you a little confidence that, hey, maybe you can um, score on this team. And, and if the defense can do you know, at least somewhat of what it did against NAU and what it really did all last year, um, you might have a chance. You know, And the longer you stay in a ball game as an underdog, they're a 10.5-point uh, underdog, I think, when I saw the spread come out at first. So it's one of those where I don't think anybody really expects Arizona State to win this game. Um, they certainly want to prove the doubters wrong, but it's, it's going to be a tough matchup for sure. But if, if you can, like I said, limit turnovers, do the little things, run the ball, limit possessions for Oklahoma State, you give yourself a shot, and that's all you can really ask for. And, Jake, you referenced now... Very key, of course, controlling the clock with the running game in this game. You mentioned the first segment about the running game impressed you. I, I think Sun Devils fans have to be really impressed. I don't know how much they really knew about X, and I think it's cool that everyone calls him X. I'm a little partial to guys who just have a, a one initial uh, first name, although it's not really his first name, but that's what everyone calls him. There's, by the way, some call me H for whatever reason. But anyway, I, I think a lot of people, you have to be impressed with, with, with this kid. I mean, he, he looks to be the real deal. Yeah, I mean, it, it, he's the leading rusher of active runners in the FBS, so he's definitely done. He's the second all-time leading rusher in Wyoming history. Um, and, and granted, even though the ASU started out a little slow against NAU, I mean, he still finished with 116 yards. They finished with 267 total. Daniel Nogata had 60 of those, and he looks good, just like he did as a third stringer last year. Um, one of uh, X's first touchdown, actually, I was in the red zone, they had six offensive linemen and Case Hatch. So you're looking at like a seven-man wall brigade and a, on a toss to the right. So if they can get these these run games going, um, like I said at the beginning, if you can get uh, Messiah Winston as a 6'8 tight end, he might line up in the slot or even on the outside sometimes. Jalen Conner is 6'4", 265. Um, I think we'll really see the tight ends being utilized in the red zone. Um, and they block, too. Like It's not just what they do in the red zone. They're, they're almost every down tight end. We're going to see a lot of 12 personnel, I think. By the way, I believe the leading rusher in Wyoming history is a guy named Brian Hill, if memory serves correctly. Jake Anderson on the ASU beat. 
for ArizonaSports.com. Jake, appreciate your time. Enjoy the rest of your holiday Monday. We'll catch up with you again soon, my friend. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, guys. Headed over to the Asian Presser right now. All right, you got it. Let us know what he says. All right, Tim and Howard in for Wolf and Luke. When we come back, uh, we'll talk about the Cardinals' cornerback room. How much of a concern and a conundrum is the cornerback room right now for Vance Joseph, Cliff Kingsbury, Steve Kime, and the Arizona Cardinals? Tim and H in for Wolf and Luke, 987 Arizona Sports Station. Hi, this is Isaiah Simmons. You are listening to 987 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Woo! Star backer is a guy that plays linebacker, a little bit of safety, a little bit of dime. I mean he's he's a star position. Star backer, that's my first time getting like a cool name to a position. Lance hit at the goal line and he did not get in. Oh, what a hit by Isaiah Simmons. He's a star, you know, he can play whatever position. Let's go! Wolf and Luke talk Cardinals now. All right, we are back. It is a Labor Day edition of the Wolf and Luke Show. Tim Ring, Howard Balzer filling in for Wolf and Luke. Cardinals back on the practice field today. It is officially game week as the Cardinals open up the 2022 season against the Kansas City Chiefs in Glendale on Sunday. Football NFL style is finally upon us. The Cardinals... Howard, we talked about it earlier, so many injury concerns going into week one. Usually you have these concerns by about week seven or week eight. But the Cardinals, Cliff Kingsbury last week, he's close. He's close. He's close. Well, Tyler Drake, Tyler Drake is our reporter on the scene, and he's starting to report via his Twitter account. We're going to have Tyler on the show uh, coming up in about an hour, so we'll talk to him all about it. Uh, But it's important to get some of this information out, especially if you're tooling around in your car on this holiday Monday. Uh, The good news is uh, Rodney Hudson and Justin Pugh are back out there uh, with the offensive line, so that's good. And Rondell Moore, Jonathan Ward are back out there during the open portion of the practice on Monday. Now, just because you're out there at the open portion of the practice doesn't exactly guarantee that you're 100% and you're fine and you're ready to go. But in terms of good signs and bad signs, those are good signs. These would, of course, be bad signs. Tyler did not see uh, J.J. Watt, Trayvon Mullen, or Zach Ertz at practice today. Marcus Golden working with the trainer on the side. And then Tyler notes that we are talking with Mullen after practice, so assuming he's getting up to speed on things. So... Howard, uh, your thoughts on the Cardinals' precarious yeah. injury situation here six days before uh, the bullets start flying for real? It's I don't know if it's precarious, but it is concerning to a degree. And I don't know, even if Mullen was getting up to speed, which is certainly probably true, I don't know that that would mean you would keep him out of practice. So you do wonder what that's all about. But... Bottom line is is the depth, and we, you noted it earlier that especially at cornerback, it, there wasn't that much depth there even before Antonio Hamilton experienced these burns on his on his feet and his legs, and so and it's a very young group. I was looking at the ages, Tim, and for, there's and counting safeties too. There's only eight defensive backs on this roster right now. There's eleven linebackers now. What do we count Isaiah Simmons as? I don't know. Maybe you could count. Maybe it's really ten and a half linebackers and eight and a half defensive backs. Yeah, I mean, but 
bottom line is if if, if Isaiah Simmons is helping in the pass defense as more of a DB than a linebacker, he's not covering guys in the slot. Okay, the way the NFL is now, the third three corners start basically because you play your nickel corner, your third corner. 70, 75% of the time on average. Yes. Much less when you're playing a team like the Chiefs. And so those eight defensive backs right now, they're av- it's the youngest position group on this team. They average, the average age is 24.4. Those are the defensive backs. And so the depth is where you look at A, Okay, yeah, Byron Murphy Jr. I'm also wondering about him and his contract, like Jalen Thompson. That expires after this year. But let's let's worry about that later. Yeah, no. Let's exactly. Worry about, let's worry about covering guys right. in week one. Now you have Marco Wilson, who let's let's be clear about this. He wasn't going to start in terms of the top two guys because Antonio Hamilton had won that job in training camp. So are there questions now about Marco Wilson and his consistency? Well, he's going to have to play now. He has to. And then is Mullen... Is Mullen end up being a guy on the edge? Is he in the slot? Who's going to play the slot? Well, he's not... No matter where he is, he's on the the field. Yeah, he has... Yeah, exactly. He's on the field, and that's, and that's, that's where we're at right now. Now, we talked to... A member of the Raiders media last week, JT the Brick, who's been covering Raider football for a long, long time, and he, you know he doesn't he doesn't pull any punches. JT the Brick, if you listen to his radio shows over the years, he point blank does say Mullen's a good player. Mullen is a good player. Fell out of favor because he he wasn't on the field last year because he was hurt, and you know he had kind of a mysterious surgery back in May, and that new regime, new, and yep. hit, Mullen and the new regime didn't mix. Right. But in terms of ability and talent, Mullen's a good football player. There's a reason why he was a second-round pick. He was the MVP of the national championship game for Clemson, defensive MVP. So there's ability there. But, but he's the, new. But, but he's but, new. But the Cardinals have put themselves in a position, a position. Some of this is not their own fault, given what happened with Antonio Hamilton and the unfortunate tragedy to, to Jeff Gladney, is that they're, they're, they are literally taking guys at the 11th hour here via trade and the waiver wire. It's not like they're trading a second-round pick to get a stud bona fide corner in here. You're sending a seventh-round pick to get a guy the Raiders didn't want, and they may have cut anyway, and you're getting a guy in Gidry the Jets waived. And you're saying, we, we need you guys to play. And i got to tell you, as a, as a Cardinal media member and a Cardinal fan, you know, that scares the bejesus out of me. Because usually you're picking up guys like that for depth right. less than two weeks before the season begins. You need these guys to play. And again, play well. Because you're, you're facing some serious aerial arsenal. To open up the season in September. And on top of that, you want your corners and your, your pass defenders in the back end to be protected by the pass rush. And how is that going to be? You have a Marcus Golden. Okay, let's, let's, let's accept the fact that he does have this t- toe injury because he wouldn't have been working with a trainer on the side unless something was going on there. So how healthy is he? And then even if he's healthy, you have all these other... Now, it doesn't mean that all these other guys that they're going to be putting out there and who knows what the rotation is going to look like, but, you know, Victor Daimukeje getting two sacks in the first preseason game or Cameron Thomas getting two sacks in the last preseason game isn't the same as going out there against the Kansas City Chiefs. And so if you're not getting some kind of pressure or 
stopping the run, so you're you know it's going to be a pass, then you're you're putting your your secondary at risk. Even a good secondary, you're putting at risk. Much less this somewhat well, not somewhat this yeah this depleted group and a very young group that, like you said, you're expecting newcomers to come in and contribute and not just play, but like you said, but play well. And, and not to mention the lack of chemistry and cohesion that you would want out of a secondary that plays together. Right. They haven't done it. Yeah, they're, they're they're new guys. They just came in last week. I mean, they'll do it on the practice field for a few days, but there's nothing like game action. Knowing knowing where guys are going to be, knowing where they're supposed to be. Knowing the defensive calls. Knowing the defensive calls. So you're coming out of the gate. You're coming out of the gate with a lot of pressure on these two cornerbacks to be able to deliver. And Vance Joseph to get them up to speed. Because you brought up a great point. Normally, to compensate for suspect corner play, you put more pressure on the cornerback. You put more pressure on the quarterback. And with the Cardinals' situation at edge rusher, I'm not sure that's a great option either. That might not be that 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 might not be an option. Now, now the flip side of this is the Cardinals on offense, and we know that this the mo of this offense not only with throwing the ball and doing all they do, and yeah, they'll run it from time to time, but they're also up tempo. They, <coughs> excuse me. They don't take a lot of time yep. between plays. Well, maybe you need to adjust that a little bit in a game against a team like the Chiefs because of what's going on on defense. Yeah, okay, run it run it. maybe a little more. Hope that line is doing well. And, and another key for this team, not only in this game but for this season, is whoever is going to get the, the bulk of the snaps when James Conner is not on the field and they cannot overuse him, whether that's Eno Benjamin, whether it's Darrell Williams, whether it's a little bit Keontae Ingram, who knows if he'll even be active. But whoever those guys are, you have to use them. You can't have James Conner getting 80%, 90% of the snaps. But however much you run, however quick passing, getting it to Marquise Brown, all those things, yeah. take some more time between plays. Yeah, I, I know everybody loves the up-tempo when it works, but if it doesn't, and you're having too many three and outs, and your offense is on the field for a minute and a half, then your defense is right back out there, that could be a recipe for disaster. Just find a way to win the games. If you got to win them 45-41, to 41, <laughs> fine. Fine. You know, in light of the Antonio Hamilton injury, which we don't make light of, obviously, very serious, and we wish, wish him well, but it is a bizarre injury nonetheless and a bizarre way to miss football games. Howard and I were, were wondering... What are some of the other bizarre injuries that took athletes off the field or off the court in sports history? We did some digging on this, and there are some real weird ones <laughs> over time. We'll talk about that coming up after the break. Tim and Howard in for Wolf and Luke, eight, uh, 98.7 Arizona Sports Station. Wolf and Luke Middays, 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. Very pleasant Labor Day Monday to you and yours. The Wolf and Luke Show rolls on, taking you up until 1 o'clock today. At 1 o'clock, Mitch and Steve hop in the big chairs. 
And they take you up until 3 o'clock. D-backs baseball to follow. D-backs taking on the Padres today, opening up a series on the road in Southern California. The D-backs chasing now that elusive 500 mark. They are certainly on a roll behind the dynamic duo. Those starting pitchers, Zach Gallen and Merrill Kelly, two of the best ERAs in the National League. Uh, the the D-backs... Uh, Disposing of the Brewers yesterday, five to one behind Gallon, seven innings, zero runs allowed. His shutout streak, Howard Balzer, is now uh, at forty-one and a third inning, one inning essentially away from setting the club record set by uh, Brandon Webb way uh, back when. Uh, we talked about Antonio Hamilton, uh, the injury last segment, and the, the burns that took place fourteen days ago in a cooking accident at home. I can only. Imagine when Cliff Kingsbury and Vance Joseph and Steve Kime heard about that. Like there, ha- I mean, you, obviously you you hope the young man is okay health wise, but from a football standpoint, you have to throw your hands up and say you've got, you've got to be kidding me. You know, we're going to lose this guy. We're going to lose our starting cornerback because of a kitchen mishap. Like you, like of all things, and you you put it out on Twitter last week. You know how many other non sports injuries of the weird have taken people out <laughs> over the years. And I responded right away. The, the one that came to mind immediately for me is Glenn Allen Hill, uh, the former baseball player, uh, was <laughs> was dreaming about spiders and thought he was being attacked by spiders. <laughs> and he he woke up in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a frenzy and ended up running into something and suffering a severe injury in the process and being put on the shelf for a long, long time. But... I know your followers had some fun with this, yes. and the and the the stories came pouring in. So I'll let you, I'll let you take it away from here. Yeah, there there was a bunch uh, that came in. One that I had put out there that I, for whatever reason, came to my mind almost immediately. And this goes way back is when Tony Dorsett, the Hall of Fame running back with the Dallas Cowboys, I believe it was in training camp. If not, it was early in the season. He was put on the shelf as he dropped a mirror on his toe. <laughs> and that that was one that took him out. One of my followers brought up Mike Matheny, who right now is the Kansas City Royals manager, managed the St. Louis Cardinals for a while. He was the catcher for the Cardinals back, I think it was 2001 or somewhere around there. And they were getting ready to play the playoffs, Tim. Okay. And he got for a birthday present, he got a, a hunting knife. As a birthday present. So he looked at it. It was pretty cool. Then he goes to put it back into the sheath, right? Unfortunately, it went through the sheath, and he ended up severing two tendons and a nerve in a finger on his hand. Oh, my God! And he was knocked out. He couldn't play. He couldn't play in the postseason. And so that but, – but one of the best – where someone corrected me on the first name, but this was one of the great stories of all time. Back when Jack Del Rio was the head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars, they had started the season 0-3, and he put in the middle of a locker room, in the locker room, a tree stump with the sign, Keep Chopping Wood. You know, these coaches always come up with these little slogans, right? You know, you got to go to work to keep chopping wood, whatever it might be, right? Well, in addition to having that sign, he put an axe in the locker room next to the tree stump. Well, the Jaguars punter, Chris Hansen, 
picks up the axe, takes a swing at the stump. The axe glances off it, and he gashes his own leg. Oh, my gosh. And needed surgery after hit, after hitting him, hit himself in the leg with this axe. <laughs> so those those were a few that there are some other ones that people may or may not remember. Orlando Brown, a Cleveland Browns tackle oh, yes. in 1999, <laughs> was playing a game. There was a penalty on a play. The official, Jeff Triplett, threw the flag. And by God, that flag hit Orlando Brown right in the eye. Yep. And it hit him hard. I remember that. And he was legally blind in the eye for several years. I mean, it was you talk about freak and weird. You wouldn't think, you see, those flags, you, they look pretty harmless on television, but those flags are those are filled with sand right. and balls. Cause they, and that thing, that, the, and Triplett just nailed Brown right in the eye. Oh, and, and it was bad. And then the Cardinal fans who have been around a while will remember uh, Bill Grammatica um, <laughs> celebrating a, a, a made kick, blows out his knee. Gus Ferrat headbutting a wall and hurting his neck. Um, my personal favorite. Now, John Smoltz, after admitting it at first, later tried to deny this and get out of it. But it's become almost an ur- urban legend. John Smoltz <laughs> suffered burns on his upper body because he burned himself while trying to iron his shirt while he was wearing it. <laughs> <laughs> Good decision there. Good decision there. And I mentioned the Glen Allen Hill. He ended up, uh, the details, he, he, he was dreaming he was being attacked by spiders in a semi-conscious state. He jumps out of bed, crashes through a glass table, bruises his feet, legs, and elbows, and placed on the 15-day DL uh, the following day. I mean, and, and the list goes on and on. It's a tiger pitcher, Joel Zamaya, uh, has to go on a the uh, miss a playoff game because he hurts his wrist playing Guitar Hero. Um, that was a good one. Uh, you can't obviously forget Plexico Burris uh, shooting himself yeah, in, the leg. Uh, in the leg going into a club. Uh, so yeah, the the Jason Pierre Paul blowing off his fingers with fireworks. And again, these are not some of these are not funny, but again, uh, through the prism of injuries of the weird, Antonio Hamilton's pitching incident where he suffered the second degree burns that will force him to miss a month of the season. He's not alone. Professional athletes have been missing time with bizarre freak injuries since the beginning of time. There was, I was reading about an old time football player who blew out a knee on the coin toss. <laughs> he, was, he was so excited his team won the coin toss he turned to Celebrate with his sideline, and his cleats got caught in the mud, and he tore yeah. all the ligaments in his knee. That's as good as the grammatical one, <laughs> celebrating the, the field goal, and of course, doing that with his knee. The, the, the one that is hard, to, is, is hard to forget is Vince. You got, a, you got another one? Vince, okay. Vince Coleman. The tarp. The tarp. Yes, the tarp. The tarp. And the, know, you have to be a little older to, to yes. remember this. We got about a minute. Tell the younger kids, the younger listeners, what happened with Vince Coleman and the tarp, because this is unbelievable. Yeah, one of the great base stealers of all time, excellent 
one hitter with the St. Louis Cardinals. It was, I believe it was in the playoffs in 1985. And they... And I don't remember totally all the details of how it happened, but he was walking off the field or whatever, and and the grounds crew was and at at the stadium they have the because it's turf they have this mechanical thing that rises up where the tur- where the tarp then just comes out to the, roll the tarp field. rolls out automatically automatically the, the, the right. guys don't roll it out themselves exactly. the tarp automatically rolls out and so Vince Coleman I'm pretty sure it was his foot and he gets hit. By the rolling tarp, the tarp rolls over Vince Coleman. Yeah, over and he's his, stuck under it. Yeah, and <laughs> and he's he's knocked out of the postseason, which of course the Cardinals ended up losing in the World Series on the famous Don Denkinger bad call at first first base. Literally, so, the fastest man in baseball gets caught by the tarp. by the tarp, <laughs> and there's this video, and he's laying there, and it's like something out of a stupid movie where the tarp is like rolling over his leg and he's caught under it. He's trying to get out and it's like the tarp is like like engulfing him and he's getting rolled over uh, by the tarp. So there you go. Injuries of the weird here on the Wolf and Luke show here on a Labor Day Monday. All right, we'll get back to the business of sports coming up after the break. Wolf and Don, your lunch coming up at the top of the hour. Tim and Howard in for Wolf and Luke. 98.7 Arizona Sports Station.